Welcome to episode 85 of the Historic Performance Podcast featuring Matt Siniscalci, Head Strength and Conditioning Coach at the Philadelphia Union. I'm extremely excited to have Matt on the podcast today because he is someone that is very passionate about youth athletic development, as am I. I contacted him about a year and a half ago when he was at Endeavor and doing great things over there, but at that moment he was making a transition to join the Philadelphia Union Academy. A lot has actually changed in that year and a half, as Matt currently finds himself working with the first team as a strength and conditioning coach. However, in this podcast, Matt highlights an area that I feel doesn't get enough attention in soccer, and that is athletic development at those early childhood and adolescent stages. And in particular, what he does is he highlights the Philadelphia Union Academy athletic development structure, which I believe is phenomenal. So if you're a fitness coach, working with a youth population, high school or college, I greatly recommend that you share this with your open-minded soccer coaches because I know that Matt answers a critical question, which is why should soccer coaches be interested in investing some of their time that could be allotted to technical and tactical sessions to athletic development? And as Matt highlights, it ultimately comes down to creating a more robust athlete and increasing contact time. So Matt discusses the structure that they have at the Philadelphia Uni Academy, their four main pillars, and why he's a fan of gymnastics. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Historic Performance Podcast. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Matt Siniscalci. Matt, how are you doing? Doing all right, man. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you on, Matt. I know it's uh, been a while. We initially tried this probably a year and a couple months ago, and a a lot's changed since then. But I'm uh, finally glad to get you on. Matt, to start us off, could you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and what you currently do? Sure. To give you a kind of a background of of my uh, quick like a little brief sport background and coaching background. But as a kid, obsessed with sports. So kind of growing up from K through eight, I played three sports, soccer, baseball, basketball, and kind of did those things up until my middle school years. And then getting into my high school years, kind of switched and played uh, football and I ran track for four years. So did a lot, uh, did a different, I have a background kind of experiencing a lot of different sports. I, uh, and then when I went to a community college for the first three semesters of my college career, I went back and I played uh, community college soccer. And about me, my background, I think it, it, it really influenced kind of me today because the reason why I think I wanted to become a strength and conditioning coach was in my senior year of my, you know, my, in my sports, my football, my track career, I got hurt both, both seasons. So if you can imagine, you kind of go in with like, Oh, this is like my last sporting outing possibly as a kid. And then you get hurt in both your seasons kind of hit a point where it's frustrating. It's depressing. It's, it's something that's not, I hope that no athlete should ever have gone, had to go through. So when that happened, like when I went into college, my, my goal was to become a physical education teacher, very passionate about physical education. And, and, and I think that those 
physical education side of things and athletic development, I think they are in some ways, they're intertwined in a very strong relationship. Because of that that situation in my senior year, I, I wanted to dive into sports and I wanted to get into coaching and I wanted to be a part of physical education and helping kids learn how to move and all the things you can think of that are involved with these things. So what ended up happening was I got my degree in something called health and physical, it was a health promotion and fitness management. I kind of sidetracked out of physical education because as I got closer to the physical education degree, I thought to myself, I didn't really like where the physical education side of things were, were, was going in America, to be honest. There's a lot of things that kind of frustrated me with, if you think about physical education nowadays, there's like, you can't you can't play certain games, people get left out. And to me, certain games and, com- and that the competitiveness of games is kind of what makes it really fun. It's, it's what drives skill development. It drives the motivation to want to be better at what you're doing. So since I got that degree and I had the opportunity to play uh, a little bit of college sports and stopping my college career a little bit short, I just you know didn't want to play anymore. What I did was I needed 20 hours at, in, as a, kind of like a brief internship at something that you wanted to do as a career. So luckily, right by where I lived, there was a place called Endeavor Fitness, and the head man there at the time was Kevin Neal. So I reached out to him, uh, did my 20 hours of observation. I uh, was became really, really intrigued and really interested in wanting to become a coach. So I uh, asked for an internship, like if that was a possibility. So they, they said, yeah, like we would love to have you come on board for the summer. Got involved with that, and then that stemmed into some part-time work and then some full-time work. And I was kind of fully involved with uh, the, the sporting process and the athletic development process. So um, from there, I worked there for about four to, I think it was five years. And lucky enough, at one of the seminars I had gone to, I met Garrison Draper, who is the sports science man at the Philadelphia Union. And he had said, you know, maybe in a year or so, there might be some moving parts and I'll keep you in the loop if there's anything that happens. And sure enough, a year, year and a half later, he asked if I'd be interested in, in a Philadelphia Union Academy job and working under Bill Knowles. So got that job, worked under Bill Knowles, and then uh, from here, some things happened, and I became the first team coach at the, the, the head strength coach for the Philadelphia Union, so that's where I'm at right now. So I don't know if that's a really long-winded answer, but it uh, kind of explains how things happened. No, it definitely does. And I know right now you're working with the first team, but yeah. As you mentioned, one of your initial passions was physical education and also athletic development. And when you're working with Bill Knowles, you're working with the Philadelphia Union Academy. And I've heard mm-hmm. Bill talk about the athletic development philosophy at the academy. So that's really what I want to focus on within this podcast. I know that we um, had discussed it. So to, to start that off, that conversation, uh, could you just give us an overview of, uh, well, a couple of different things. So what the YSC Academy is, what is HP Sports, and and how does that all intertwine with the Philadelphia Union Academy? For sure. So YSC Academy is uh, it's the school that is right, basically right next door to the training facility um, for the Philadelphia Union Academy. So there's about seventy some uh, young men from I think it's it's basically a high school, nine through twelfth grade that attend the school, and say almost half of them either are a part of the Philadelphia Union Academy teams, so the U18, the U16, U15, U14. And then the other half of the kids play soccer as well, but they might play for something like the, with a club called Continental FC, which is kind of like the, 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 the brother club, or however you want to call that, that's associated with the Union Academy. So 
They're all playing soccer. They're all going there to get the opportunity to possibly play for, I think, the Philadelphia Union Academy. But what makes it special is the YSC Academy, if you go to that school, you get athletic development training, an extra soccer training session in the morning. And then if you're part of the Philadelphia Union Academy, you would come back in after school and you have your Philadelphia Union Academy practice. So the strength in that is that you get access to our four pillars, what we would call the four pillars of athletic development. And then you get that exposure of that second soccer session, which we all know, like the more exposure you get to soccer, obviously it can help you become a better soccer player. It's kind of backwards in the sense that you think of, okay, well, these kids are worth specialization. So you're kind of like, well, what do you, what do you mean, Matt? Like you're, these kids are playing more soccer than anybody else probably. And how is that necessarily, it's beneficial from the skill side of things, but it's kind of, we looked at that and it's kind of how Bill looked at it and said, it's our job that since they're going to get more soccer training or more exposure to it, we need to do our part from the physical education and the athletic development training side of things to implement that for the kids because they wouldn't necessarily get it if it was just going to be soccer training. So like, that's why the athletic development training is something that's so essential for the academy and for the YSC Academy is because we see what we saw last year on the injury rates and the years before that from what Garrison showed me was that the injury rates were, were always consistently low. And even if you're exposed by having that extra soccer training session all year round, um, the injury rates are still very, very low and the kids are strong, they're robust. And it's ma- it seems to be making a really, really large impact in their development as soccer players, as seen by there's some ki- there's some guys that are moving up through the semi-pro team currently. There's some guys that are moving up through the pro- the actual pro team, as we had like Derek Jones, who, who's like actually he's been starring the past couple games for us, who was an academy player. So it just seems to be doing really, really wonderful things for the, the, the development side of things. And also their, their their technical, tactical side of things as well. Matt, although the majority of people who listen to this podcast are on the physical preparation side, I know there are a couple of soccer coaches. And one of the things that you know I, I've I've worked in soccer predominantly, and especially when it comes to youth soccer, I know a mm. lot of coaches are like, Well, isn't the athletic development side gonna take away time mm. from the technical and tactical sessions. So Mm -hmm. if you're talking to a uh, soccer coach, how would you go about describing why soccer academies and youth clubs should invest in athletic development here in the United States? Absolutely. I think that the the one that pops out from that question is if you have players that are always available to play or for the majority of the season are available to play. I don't think anyone would want to argue with that being a very big driver and having a higher chance of success because you have player availability and it's high, it's, it's at a high rate. And I think that with athletic development in, in any sport, in, actually, the technical tactical side is always going to be super important. But for us, it's yes, you are going to have to take away a little bit of time, but you don't have to take away as much time as you necessarily would think. And I say this because, for instance, warm-ups. One of the ways that we implement athletic development training into the, the we did in the academy and one of the ways that we do it with the first team is we see warm-ups as an opportunity every single day to invest 15 to 20 minutes of mobility, stability, coordination, speed and agility, all the things that you can think of, strength, you know, basic strength drills, that gives us an opportune time 
to implement all of those qualities every single day. So we're looking at it like, okay, it's 15 to 20 minutes. It's like a dollar in the bucket every single day. You put a dollar in the bucket, you put it away, you save it. And over time, that accumulates to a lot of time, especially when you think about the Philadelphia Union Academy. It's 10 to 11 months long. The pro season is quite similar. And if we have the opportunity to attack that 15 to 20 minute window every single day with the qualities that's necessary for the players, it becomes a large investment of time. But you don't really think of it like that because it's a warm up. The, the way that we worked it out in terms of time is some days with the academy, their warm up would be their lift. So we would say, hey, can we have an extra 10, like an extra 10 on top of the 15? So maybe a 20 to 25 minute lift typically twice a week, or we do it right after the practice. So they would come in like maybe 20 minutes earlier than they typically would, and we'll get a we'll get a lift in. So I think what ends up happening is that athletes need technical and tactical absolutely. They need, you know, the the mental aspect of things to be strong. They also need the physical side to be strong. And you see a very strong technical tactical because they're spending a lot of time doing that. But you might not get the physical side of things because you're just not doing it. And when I think about it, on the physical side of things, you don't necessarily develop those qualities, speed, power, strength, coordination, and all these different things by playing soccer. You express them through playing soccer. So it's just one of those things where with the with the academy and with the first team, the injury rates seem to be pretty low, pretty good. The player availability is high. So they can pick and choose who they want, and they have a, they have good depth because of that ability to have a robust, strong athlete. And I think that that's essential because you're looking at it in a holistic way, not just well, this guy's skill is awesome, but physically he's not where he needs to be. And you need how do you develop that? You need to develop that and devote some time to doing that. So I hope that kind of answers the question. But they you do have to invest some time, but it doesn't have to be as much time as you necessarily would think. It absolutely does answer the question. So you mentioned for the individuals that are in the YSC Academy, mm-hmm. they get exposure to the athletic development side in, in the morning. Part of that, there's four main pillars. So what are those four main pillars? Yeah, that's uh, it's something that I when I got there at at YSC and at, with the academy and under Bill, the, the the pillars I think they kind of sum up everything that you think of from a physical education standpoint. When I started seeing what we were doing, and from the athletic development standpoint, and what I mean by that kind of is to me every athlete is in some way similar. You need to push, pull, squat hinge, lunge. You need to have climb, gallop, leap, run, swing, skip, shuffle, jump, hop, change of direction, fall, dodge, bounce, stop, roll, twist. All these different things that is physically educator related are within these four pillars. And I think that the first one is what you would typically know, strength. So strength is one of our pillars. We do that via strength training sessions. So that's usually typically two times a week. That's with the with the Philadelphia Union Academy. With the with the school, what we would do is so strength was a quality, multi-dimensional speed and agility was another quality, gymnastics was a quality, and competitive coordinative games was a quality. And what we would do is every week we have with each group, so we have like U14s, U16s, U18s, we have about an hour to do those four pillars. And how we did it was we alternated at two 
every other week. So we would do like strength and gymnastics. We had about an hour with them doing that, hour and 15 minutes. So we would work on those two qualities. Then the next week comes around, we would do competitive uh, coordinative games with them. And we would do multi-dimensional speed and agility. So within all of those, though, strength is kind of what you, you would think of. You know, you have general strength circuits. But then gymnastics, you know, a great thing to, to, to implement with, I think, anyone if you can. Great way to understand facial awareness, body control. It is strength to some degree in terms of if you're doing partner handstands, the guy's holding a handstand, you know, there is upper body strength that's involved. There is bracing that is involved. We do a lot of drills with the with with the guys where call them partner planking. So it's not necessarily gymnastic base, but we do it a lot on the gymnastic floor because we can have guys think about someone standing up, uh, hands together, feet together. My partner's standing on the side of me, and basically what I'm doing, if you, if you think of it, I'm trying to be a, a a stiff pillar. So it's almost like a trust fall type of deal, but not where I'm loose and loose and soft. But I have to be stiff, and my partner has to kind of squat me down. And then swing me back over and then go in the opposite direction. And you're doing this. And what it's doing is it's kind of like rhythmic or dynamic stabilization. So that's something to be to be taught is this idea of stiffness and bracing, which you can do in all different sorts of ways. Multidimensional speed and agility. Yes, that's that's learning running mechanics. It's learning change of direction mechanics. It's also learning as well. It's involving turning your hips, turning your head, flipping, jumping over hurdles, and spinning in the air. So you have, so it's not just this idea of okay, we're gonna sprint and cut, but we're, we're gonna do it in different levels: low, high, fast, slow, coordinative com, or co, was it competitive coordinative games? It's a big name. We call them CCGs, basically. But different games. These are basically physical education games that involve competition. So it could be something like bombardment or dodgeball or we're going to play handball, but you involve different elements to it. So it makes the kids think. Lots of times I would describe a game to people or the, the, the players that we have and um, it could say like handball. Okay, in order to score, you have X, Y, and Z. But what happens is I give them directions and then and the guidelines and then you'll see guys, they'll come up with a crazy way to score a goal. And they'll look over at me and it's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, I didn't say it in the instructions. So it's okay. So they're finding these, they're, they're, they're learning different strategies by thinking cognitively about like, oh, he didn't say that. So maybe we can score this way or maybe we can play this way and get away with it. And it's, it's, it's driving learning and fun and it's expressing things like free play, so to speak, which we don't get a lot with the, the way things are now. It's, there's, there's always, it's always competition. It's always torments. There isn't a lot of free play that goes on like when, like when we were kids. So it's just an awesome way to get that part of athlete development in with these kids because they don't get it as much. So that's, I think that's kind of how it is in a nutshell. Matt, this next one's going to be a little bit of a, a monster question. So you mentioned that there's a spectrum of age groups and mm -hmm. within all these spectrums, you're using these four pillars. Yeah. So when it comes to the long-term athletic development continuum, how does it progress from the youngest players that you're working with mm -hmm. all the way up to, like, let's say when you get to, up to the U18s? And I say it's a pretty monster question because it's a lot to cover. No, but it's good, though. I think, um, like, the more I look at long-term athletic development and you see, like, the stages and they have all kinds of names for them. But, for instance, like, I think the first stage, they call it fundamentals with the emphasis on fun. And that's anywhere from 
for men, it's or boys, it's like six to nine, and females, it's five to eight. And then it goes on to the stage of it's called learning to train. That's the second stage. That's boys being nine to 12, girls between eight to 11. And basically, what it is is you always hear about there's always these windows of opportunity to express qualities kind of more often because then it's kind of the, the window is open for you to to make it better. So if you think about like the first fundamentals, it always talks about like emphasizing speed. So it could be like relay races for kids and all these different little games. But within the the groups that I've worked with, primarily around 11, 12, up until, yeah, like the 18-year-old age groups. And the one thing that I think it's always important is that, yes, there's these windows of opportunity, but I still think and I still believe that you're still just training people the same in some similar way. They're still doing all the same things, squatting, lunging, tumbling, rolling, pushing, pulling, climbing ropes, all these different things. It's just the degree at which you use them. So for instance, like our young guys, our 12, like our U12s, U13s, they will do a lift like once a week with us, but it's basically their own body weight. So we're doing gymnastic moves. We're doing, you know, body weight, we're doing push-ups. We're doing like, can they climb up a rope a certain height and come back down? They're doing, you know, body weight lunges, squatting with a, like a, like a med ball or very lightweight things, but they're getting into the system of what we're, they're going to get prepared to do in the Union Academy. But if they weren't in the Union Academy, it, you'd still do this with young kids. I did edit when I was at Endeavor. We had same, same kids. It was like, they're just going to do body weight basic calisthenics, coordinative drills, you know, learning all the locomotor skills really, really well. And then as you get older, the the strength can become a a priority because now their body can withstand. They have the hormone after the hormones after puberty to withstand the strength to actually get the strength gains out of it. So they're going to the U16, U15s, U16s, U18s, you know, they will have more of a weight emphasis to get strong. But they're same thing. They're going to be do, doing gymnastics. They're going to be doing MDSA. They're going to be doing uh, the games. But it's just the, the degree at which you can really load them and or, you know, uh, the, the variability. Younger kids might want to do more with them. Lots of different exercises, almost like giving like a giant library of exercises. Whereas as it gets older, you might have to cut that down just a little bit because the emphasis on mastery of of lifting heavier weights might have to be a little bit less in order to get better at that strength concept. So that's kind of really the the difference that I see with long-term athletic development. It's, 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 it's very similar. It's just the emphasis you put on it with, with the kids. Matt, at, at the beginning of the podcast, you also mentioned the fact that how athletic development really intertwines with the technical and tactical side, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to building robustness improving injury rate. I know that uh, Bill discussed this, but when it comes to the Philadelphia Union Academy and, and this athletic development, mm-hmm. how has it impacted injury rates? Uh, I'm not sure if you have the statistics and also yeah. how has it increased contact time um, for the technical and tactical staff? Yeah. Well, what's awesome about being a situation that we're in is that we have kind of, it's one system. So at the Union at the Philadelphia Union Academy, at the Bethlehem Steel, which is the the, uh, the semi pro team, and the the first team, our system of athletic development and reconditioning, you know, guys that may get injured or have little tweaks here and there, is all the same. So we have like this this one language in order to get guys either back from injury 
and or the training process is all kind of the same. So to give you an idea, like the I don't have the exact stats, but I know I think out of the, I think the three or four years that this academy had been going on, I think since Bill has gotten there with this athletic development model, there's been one ACL. There's been I don't I think there's been like zero hamstring strains, like like or, or tears like major hamstring like there hasn't been anything like that there there might have been one surgery last year for like a for a groin but really not nothing else i mean you get like the, the yeah like i twisted my ankle or i got this kid got a concussion or you get little like little issues with yeah maybe i feel like a, a little bit of a pull in my quad but what happens is that considering that that's the only th- major things that have happened like those those couple when someone gets like a little tweak here and there, the reconditioning process is performance. It's their do their training, like the rehab, like you know, want try one girl talk about rehab equals training, training equals rehab. That's what we do. So when they get like these little tweaks here and there, they're able to get back onto the field pretty darn quickly because the way in which I think we approach the reconditioning process is performance based. It's movement based. It's, it's not, you know, little rinky dink things that we're doing in the, they're, they're training. If you, if you came in and you saw that guy had like a little bit of an ankle sprain, you would see him doing ankle stiffness drills on the gymnastics floor or on the trampoline, or he would be, you know, pushing sleds or he'd be doing jumps and, and cut or being on the pitch doing, you know, whatever, change of direction. Whatever that that person can do at the level that they're at, they're doing so that they can get back on the field faster. It's not uh, like, hey, just sit there and rest it and do nothing. It's a very proactive approach um, how we approach these injuries. And I think I don't know how it, it's how much it quantifies like how the the actual injury. Like, would it make them that are they recovering that much faster? But it's like they might get something you know with you know and then like a, a day or two they're back in because they feel pretty good. We're testing them out, making sure they're back to where they were, and it's just like the seamless process. It's all. It looks like training. It looks like how I think it. it you would envision uh, the reconditioning process, and it just made a lot of sense to me. And it, I think it's made a huge impact because it just it's training. Like re, the rehab process is training, and and because of that, there's not many many major injuries. So it just kind of it's been really really good so far. I also know that you mentioned gymnastics mm-hmm. and. You, you seemed a big proponent of gymnastics. You said that really you believe that a lot of people should be exposed to it. H- how did you go about learning gymnastics in order to teach other individuals? Yeah, so there was a strength coach there named Liz Wahlberg, who I think is at Valley Forge Military Academy now. And she was she was an actual gymnastics coach. And she was actually on the staff before I got there and left like really briefly after I got there. Um, but she had like a system in place for like progressions, regressions, and obviously I'm not a gymnastics person, but I tried to learn the basics of things. And a lot of those basics were, it's, it's really simple, like forward rolling, backward rolling, shoulder rolls, forward flips onto maps, like all these dip, like, you know, walking up the wall with your feet, um, for like handstands and things like that. And using things like, uh, kickups, which is basically like, you think about like doing like a single leg uh romanian deadlift or single leg deadlift and then putting your hands on the ground and then like kicking the back leg up in the air it's kind of like you're setting yourself up for a handstand and you come back down like those are all basics and a lot like like really like rolling is kind of like squatting in a sense you're bending at the ankle then in the hip and it's similar similar to squatting and so I took me and our other strength coach that was at the academy eric poorman we basically covered a lot of the basics 
and we just tried to hammer that as much as possible. Um, and because we have a gymnastics floor, we were able to incorporate, you know, the basic movements of the gymnastics that we could do and really demonstrate really, really well. Plus, do a lot of our plyo work on the gymnastics floor because, you know, the blue floor gives you, it's kind of a spring-loaded floor. So it gives you a sense of springiness. It's like feed-forwarding, like your ability to jump, you know, higher, be stiffer, quicker. Um, and it's one of the ways that we kind of, like, recondition guys from, like, ankle issues or try to get them to, to understand how to be explosive or stiff. So it's it was really about implementing those two things of plyo work and gymnastics floors and we could do it in a way where it was, it could, it could have been a teaching session. It could have been just, hey, we're going we're gonna to learn how to do, we're going to do roles in different directions and different ways. The traditional roles, like laying on your back and rolling, like left to right, um, like that's a skill. Like that's a, that's a, I think rolling is one of those things where I call it, it's concussion prevention. It's also, in some ways, it's ankle, knee, or hip prevention because if you're very uncoordinated, when you hit the ground, you can get injured because you're like very rigid and you don't know how to get out of a situation from, like, let's say, landing or jumping over a guy who's sliding at you, you know, a slide tackle for, per se. And if you have a good awareness of your body in the air, in space, I, I think it really benefits people because they feel comfortable and they just feel like if you hit a bump in the road and you got to jump and you're falling over and you roll, you can get right back up out of that thing and keep playing. It's like as if nothing happened. So I think the real benefits of gymnastics is that body awareness. It's that spatial awareness of for using the gymnastics floor to do jumps and things like that or the trampoline because the trampoline, in my opinion, we use it as part of our gymnastics lessons. You can jump and spin in the air. You can jump and like turn the head and, and that's kind of stimulating like your vestibular system. It's the, it's the, it's that idea that when I'm in the air, my sense of balance, my sense of coordination and awareness is heightened. And if you're not very, or if you're not used to that, or you're not aware of that, you can get into some serious trouble. And that's why, you know, a lot of injuries, if you're coming down from landing and jumping and you're kind of in these weird positions in the air where you're twisting and turning, they can become prop like big problems with injuries because you're not necessarily so comfortable with being in the air and learning how to roll and fall and all these things. So I think it's, that's why it's such a big component and it should be for athletic development. Absolutely, Matt. I, you wouldn't know how many uh, kids I, I see that even something that simple is, well, it's not really simple, but rolling. Yeah, but it is, it is though. It's, it's really forward rolling. It's like, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be so scary, but it, it, it can be scary, you know? So it's the same thing with like, like, uh, like all of our locomotor skills, like, you wouldn't believe there's 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 still kids that they can't skip, they can't shuffle, they can't karaoke, they can't they can't like look over their one shoulder as they're running in another direction without like losing their sense of like where they are or like flipping their hips and running one way and they're looking the other way. Like those are all things that are part of the this athletic puzzle of being able to do something while you're looking another way and then your body's reacting to what your you know what your eyes are going but you'd be amazed at like people at the highest level people at the it, it's it's difficult and i think it's difficult because you simply just don't do it or you aren't you weren't exposed to it and that comes from a lot of things that comes from free play that comes from being taught it you know well, you don't you don't always get that stuff nowadays absolutely agree with you matt matt there's a um 
a new section I'm trying out just so people can, so it could be a little bit more fun and people can get to know the guests. So a couple of couple questions for you. First one, what is your favorite strength and conditioning book? Oh my God, dude. I was, dude, I was thinking about this for like at least 30 minutes and I couldn't even, one that I think was, is it's kind of like a, I guess a, a few, but it, anything by Dan John and Pavel Satsaline, I think from a strength and condition, like a strength side of things is gold. I love their book, uh, Easy Strength. It goes into so many different ways in order to get stronger without like neural fatigue and ways to get hypertrophy without like crushing somebody. It was an awesome book and it gives you like ideas on like how like lifters in past history did things and why they're so like why Russians are so successful at but that's like the lifting side. That's like the strength side. When I think of pure strength, I think that that's an awesome, awesome thing. I just bought a book. I think it's called Children Moving, which is like a phys ed book for like, uh, you know, like locomotor skills and kids and just learning. So I'm going to be diving into that soon. Anything where you can get an idea of, like if you're interested in athletic development, like uh, Isfan Bali's, there's a book that he has out, but that's all about like the long-term athletic development model. That's that's really cool. Mike Boyle's like functional training for sports was always like a big one for me when I first started strength conditioning. But I think that's that's probably it. Easy strength. Mike Boyle's functional training for sports is always a good basis. And yeah, Isfan Bali or any any phys ed. If you can get a phys ed book on like young kids and locomotor skills, I think those things are always really cool to learn. It's always funny that when someone asks you for your favorite book, all of a sudden it it's very tough because you like, read so many <laughs> and you like so many. So. Yeah, there's, there's not, yeah, there's just too many, man. I think it's, it's just too much information. <laughs> Second one, favorite quote. Ooh, favorite quote. Okay. So if anybody knows me, they know I'm a big, uh, university of Michigan football fan. So I got to go with my man, Jim Harbaugh. One of the things that he always says is bringing enthusiasm unknown to mankind every single day. So I think I try to do that every single day that I, uh, come to work. Um, and then the other one is, um, be better today than yesterday and be better tomorrow than you are today. That's the other one. So I think that's kind of always a good thing is today is kind of the day that you're going to really, really try to make yourself better. And then tomorrow you try to make yourself better than you are today. So I really like that one too by him. And now your favorite book, this is not strength and conditioning related, but just favorite book that you you've, you've ever read. Oh man. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is pretty amazing. And I also am a big Lord of the Rings fan. So there's, uh, I'm really into like the philosophy of like uh, the Lord of the Rings. I think it's such a cool, J.R.R. Tolkien was like this is such a great author. So I, there's a book called um, The Philosophy of J.R.R. Tolkien. It's called The Worldview Behind the Lord of the Rings, which is kind of like an in-depth book on like, like philosophy religion and like all why that how that book is like surrounded in so much that you don't even realize it's it's really cool if you're like into that kind of geeky stuff like um, <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome <laughs> favorite movie braveheart mel gibson's uh, yeah i gotta say i gotta say braveheart classic and then this is the one that always gives people trouble best piece of advice ever given to you by either a coach or mentor and why was it so impactful oh man oh man by a certain coach or someone else i would say when i was in community college on the soccer team that i played on that was the most fun most laid back and obviously because it was community college it wasn't anything serious but that was like where i fell in love again with sports and i fell in love with soccer so and one of the things that my coach had kind of said was he was really into like you just got to have fun with what you do. You got to love what you do every single day, 
you just look for you, you have fun you work hard and you just love being there where you are right now and i think that uh that was one of the pieces of advice that i think i was stuck with me and i always felt that um there's a book by a guy by the name of Bo Schembechler, who was the University of Michigan football coach for 20 plus years. And he had said in one of his books, don't be worried about at your job right now. Don't worry about, okay, I got to get a job here or there or wherever the heck the job is at. If you just do the best possible job that you got where you're at right now, people will come calling. You'll have interviews for something possibly better and you'll be recognized. Don't, but don't worry about the whole you know, oh, I got to interview all these other places. Like, dude, if you're if you do really, really, really well at your job and you do the best you possibly can, you'll get noticed. And before you know it, things things will go your way, man. So I think that was really pretty profound, especially in the coaching profession where, you know, there's not always the most secure things out there. But, you know, you just got to have faith and you just got to do your best every single day and just bring it. Yeah. And that seems to go against the typical interview question of like, where do you <laughs> see yourself in? three to five years now. I'm just like, I, I have no clue. Yeah, I have <laughs> no clue. <laughs> it's just one day better, man. You just got to just do your best every day, you know? So Matt, if uh, anybody wants to reach out to you or contact you about anything that you said within the podcast, what's the best way they can do so? Sure. Uh, I have two emails, Matt Siniskowski, so my whole name at gmail.com or msiniskowski at philadelphiaunion.com. I have a Twitter, my full name. Uh, I have a Facebook, my full name. So I, I'm always happy to, to help people out if they feel the need to reach out. I would love to do that. If I have any advice for them, I hope, it, I hope it's good. I um, hope it benefits them. But I'm always here to help serve uh, other coaches or other people that are, that are interested. So that's kind of my role. So, uh, yeah, that's where they can reach me. Awesome. I'm going to make sure to link all that in the show notes. That's the way it's easily accessible to them. Please. Matt, really appreciate you taking the time on this Monday evening to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about the Philadelphia Uni Academy, the flag development philosophy and the four pillars. Really appreciate it, man. I, I appreciate me, uh, you know, you inviting me on to do this. Time. I think this, this, this stuff that you have going on here is, is fabulous. And I think uh, all the guys, it's pretty awesome when you have so many different backgrounds and so many different experiences. It's just, it, it's what makes the uh, athletic development or the strength conditioning community awesome is you have so many different viewpoints and, and, and ways to get better. So I really appreciate you putting this stuff together. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Historic Performance Podcast. If you're looking for the show notes, you'll find them on my website, which is historicperformance.net. If you enjoy this podcast episode or any previous podcast episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you head over to iTunes to either leave a review or rating. It helps other physical preparation coaches and sports scientists find the podcast. So I greatly appreciate it. I'll see you guys next week.